We're going to start this, uh, this new year, I thought, for our memory verse with a great verse. And that's this. Uh, Matthew twenty two, thirty seven. 37. It says this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, right? We're going to start with the big things. Let's start with this. What we're going to talk about this year, greatness. And we all wish each other happy new year, but I don't want it just to be happy. I think God wants so much more for us than just to be happy. A lot of times we set ourselves these, uh, these, these resolutions that we think we're going to put these things in our lives so we can have happier lives. But you know what? As I found and I read through Scripture, never once did I find that it was God's design for us. His end goal was just for us just to be happy. He didn't call us to happiness. There's nothing wrong with happiness. But He didn't call us to it. He called us to greatness. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks as we start this year looking at what does God say makes us great? Where does greatness come from? We're going to focus in on three things that actually have great in their title, and one that is it's a great example. And that is going to be, we're going to talk about the great commandments. We're going to talk about the great compassion, the great commitment, and then also the great commission in these next four weeks. And so uh, we're looking at what does God say? If we're going to set our lives on things, what are the things that God says greatness comes from? And so we begin with that. I came across this verse in June, uh, one of the books that I was uh, uh, reading, and um, it really stuck out to me. It says this. I thought this was a great quote. It says this. A great commitment to the great commandments and the great commission done with great compassion will grow a great church and a great Christian. Isn't that a great statement? Turn one on and say, that's a great statement. That is a great statement. You know, that was one of those statements. I don't smoke my pipe very often, maybe a couple times a year only. But that was one. I read it, and then I had to think about it. I went home, sat on my porch, and I thought about that. I said, is this true? That passes muster. That a great commitment to the great commandments and the great commission, done with great compassion, will grow a great church and a great Christian. You know, we have this commitment. It's a big part of it, isn't it? When we look around and we see a lot of things, a lot of times Christians and churches aren't great. And sometimes it's not that they teach the wrong things. It's not that they they're, you know, believe the wrong things. It's just not a commitment to the right things. And we, we, it's easy uh, to just accept, but it's hard to do. There's a level of commitment that Christ calls us to. I think about his disciples. He didn't just say, hey, believe what I told you. He said, come follow me. And they said, well, you know, we've got some things to do. He said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. There's a commitment that is necessary. But it's not just a commitment. I think oftentimes commitment can lead us into bad things. We can be committed, fully committed to the wrong things. And I think we see that sometimes in this world and even sometimes in the church where we get greatly committed to the things that God didn't call us to be committed to. And when we wonder why we don't find greatness in his kingdom. So it's a great commitment, but to the great commandments. The things that God wants, what he says, this is what I have. But you know what? It's not just what he wants, but also the great commission. And Jesus said, this is what I, I've asked you to do. It's not just about us. There, there's, a, there's a both and thing in there, a great commitment to both of those. But look at this, done with great compassion. We can do all of the right things, it says in Scripture. We can do everything right. We can go above and beyond in the way that we, we give, the way that we live our lives, the way we sacrifice ourselves, all kinds of things. But if we don't do it with compassion, if we have not love, it says that we're just noisy, gongy things that are really annoying. Isn't that the truth? 
I think it's one of these things that we find in life sometimes uh, that the church can be greatly committed to what God calls us to be, but we're not, <laughs> we're not committed to the compassion that motivates us. And if we're not compassionate about what we're doing, then that church will not be great. It doesn't build a great Christian life. But I'll tell you, when those things all come together, when we find this great commitment to the great commandments and, and the great commission done with great compassion, oh, amazing things happen. Right? That's where we find a great church growing. That's where we find a great Christian growing in that. And I'll tell you, as your pastor and as for me as a friend, I want you to be great. I want this church not just to be just another church that just fills space and time here in Estes Park. I really believe God called us to be great. He put us here to do something amazing for his kingdom. Because he's a great God. And he's called us to these things. And that's what we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks. We're going to be focusing in on what God calls us to. Now, in order to do that, I think the best place to do is to start in Scripture. So, if you have a Bible, I would like you to open it up to Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to use one of ours. We've got plenty in the back right there on the bookshelf. And if you uh, don't have a Bible at all and need one, just take one. Uh, but in one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page uh, 692. And while you're turning there, uh, just let me set you a little, uh, a little background on this. This time in Jesus' ministry, this is Jesus going to be talking in, in this passage. And... Uh, He's growing in influence, and he's rocking the boat. You see, there are these, these two camps of, of uh, the, the religious elites at the time that, that owned the system, and um, they set about doing things, very committed to doing some very good things, but oftentimes not what God called them to do, and sometimes what God called them to do in the wrong way. Anyway, Jesus comes in, and he kind of blows all that up. And he starts preaching about truth and, and God's way and, and ushering in his kingdom. And it's an amazing thing. And it, it didn't go over well. And one of these groups was called the Sadducees and brilliant guys. And, and, uh, and they, they, get, they, they, they don't like what Jesus is saying, so they try to humiliate him, right? They think, here's this uneducated carpenter guy who's walking around thinking that he's some kind of teacher, and we're going to outsmart him. So they go up, and then they try to trick him. And Jesus in, in brilliant fashion, shuts down their argument and, and shuts them up in, in one wonderful stroke, and it's awesome. And so on the other side, there was the Sadducees, and the Sadducees uh, didn't like another group was called the Pharisees. They were, they were like Democrats and Republicans. They just didn't mix, right? And so when the, when the uh, Pharisees saw Jesus shut down the Sadducees, they are like, we like this guy, but we still don't like this guy, right? Because sometimes... The uh, enemy of my enemy isn't my friend. And so that's what they were thinking. And they said, hmm, well, they liked how they shut down these guys, but these Pharisees said, okay, we're going to give a shot. We're going to show these Sadducees how it's done. And so, so we read here that uh, in verse uh, 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got up together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Notice right there, this is a trap. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't really committed to what God had wanted. They were trying to trap Jesus. And so they, they crafted a question they thought would get him in trouble. And what kind of question would that be? Well, this, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
How do you answer that? Or that's a difficult one. It's like when somebody asks you, you know, which kid do you love best? Right? There's no right answer to this question, it seems like. They say, well, if you say, well, don't commit adultery, they say, well, then it's okay to murder. Right? They say, oh, worship only God, then you say, well, we're not supposed to honor his name. Right? I mean, anything he said, there's all a bunch of things. They knew they got him. They thought. And Jesus answers something that they knew very, very well. It says in verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The answers on something that those Jews would have, that, that the Pharisees who tried to trap him would have recited six times every day. It's called the Shema. This is a, the love the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, listen, this is the core thing. And he answers them with this, and then he goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. You notice that there's some powerful things that he teaches us in this. That Jesus says, okay, we want to start with something. Let's start with the main thing. Love God with all of you. And then he adds on to it. Make sure that, that love spills out and, loves and pours on to other people. Right? And he goes on to say, if you can't do this, nothing else matters. All the law and the prophets hang on this. Let's get the gravity of what Jesus just said there. Right? All of the law, all everything that Moses wrote, all that trouble that God went through writing down stuff on stone and, and meeting with Moses in the tent of meeting and all the, all the books, all the first five books that were written, all of that, all of the prophets that came for over the centuries, the millennia, who came through and prophesied and taught in their lives all the suffering that they went through and everything that they taught means nothing if you don't get this. It's all about this. It's important. And what does it come down to? Love. Oh, we miss this, but oftentimes how easy it for us to separate religion from love. How sad. Our faith from our heart. So you, you got to start with loving God. And don't just kind of love him. He, he, he throws down the gauntlet, doesn't he? I mean, he, he gives us a challenge. He doesn't say, just love God. He gives us a challenge. He says, I want you to love God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. This is what God told us to do. Every part of you. That's why, oh, you know, we call this the greatness challenge for a reason. It's a challenge. Challenges aren't easy. <laughs> you notice that? Someone says, I challenge you to do something. It's like, I challenge you to... Eat four bonbons and watch your favorite TV show. That's not a challenge, unless you're, like, hyperactive. <laughs> Challenges are hard, and Jesus challenges us. He says, if you want to get it right, start here. You know, this series, when I put it together, it's, uh, I, I felt tempted to put my football coach whistle on because it's a challenge. As we began this year, this series really is it's really designed for the Christian. And for all of our, our friends here that aren't believers yet or, and all that, we are so happy that you're here. And in fact, I hope that you feel welcome and all this and you're going to hear that. What this is for you 
is this is where we peel back the curtain and you can see what Christianity is all about. Right? You can see what it's about. But for the believer, <laughs> this is going to be a challenge. You're going to be a little prodding a little bit. It's like if you're a ball player and you step on my field and I'm coaching, you're going to be pushed. Jesus pushes us. He didn't call us to mediocre living. He didn't call us just to be happy or comfortable. He called us to something so much more. And so we're going to spend some time looking at what does Christ call us to. And you will be uncomfortable. I don't apologize for it because I'm uncomfortable as well. These verses are prodding me as well. But we're going to make this journey together. We're going to answer the challenge. We're going to find the greatness on the other side. You know, there's some reason that we can, we can be great like this. Where does this love come from? It comes from God. Right? When we go through this whole challenge, let's remind ourselves of this. That the only reason that we can love God is because he first loved us. He is the example and he is the power. Right? So, when we go through this, some people say, oh, if you're asking us to do things, that's legalistic. No, it's legalistic if you think that, you know, you're doing this as how you're going to gain prestige in God's eyes or in a kingdom or things like this. And, you know, this is what makes you better than another person. No, no. All of us hated God. That's what scripture says. We all were at war with him. We all picked ourselves above God. And while we were still his enemies, Christ came for us. He died for us while we were still his enemies. He died for our sins while we were still committing sins. For him to die for. Um, he even prayed for the people that nailed him to the cross. He died for our sins. He showed us love. And then he came back, which is pretty awesome. Show that he's God. Show that there's life on the other side of this. But he also set an example for us. So says that we love because God loved us. As we go through this whole series, as we, let's not ever wander stray too far off of the grace which allows us to be here in the first place. All right? Christ loved us, and so we have an opportunity now to love God back. I think that's much better than just this angry God sitting on a mountain saying, You must love me! He loves you. Let's start there. And now let's talk about how is it that we can love him back. What are the ways that we can do this? Well, the first thing that Jesus said is, love God with all my heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, when I was in Bible college, I took Greek or I took Latin, um, Hebrew. I took actually Greek too. I love Greek. Hebrew blew up my brain. It was awful. It just doesn't make sense. It's all weird and goes the wrong way and they have little jots and tittles and whatnot and it's just confusing. So I didn't do great in Hebrew. Luckily, there's lots of word study guides and things like that for people like me so I can at least study some of it. But there was one Hebrew word that I do love and that is the word for heart and that word is splatna. And you can see why I love it. <laughs> splatna. Isn't that fun to say? This says, love God with all your heart. He says, love God with your splatna. Right? He talks about loving God with our heart, with our splatna. Splatna doesn't just mean the thing in your chest that goes, ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. It means center. That's what it means. Because I love Hebrew. Hebrew takes these difficult concepts and they put it into to tangible things. It's love God with our center. And what is it the center is what your life revolves around, Right? 
It's the thing that everything else in your life kind of touches, and, and this is what you make your decisions around, your schedules around, all that kind of stuff. That's what's the center. And it says this, love God with that. Make God your center. So if we want to love God with our heart, we first have to ask this difficult question. What's at the center of your life? What does your life revolve around? Because whatever your life revolves around, that's really what you worship. Isn't that what worship is? And when we put God at the center of our life is when we worship him. But whatever else, if we put other things there, that's what ultimately we're worshiping. So we give our greatest devotion to. And so what is the thing, and you, you can think about it in your own life, what is there that I make my decisions, my schedule, my, my priorities, what are they set around? Because that's what's at the center of your life. Now here's an amazing thing. When we were designed, God didn't just fill that place. It's for us to fill. But he designed it for him to be there. See, when we put anything other than God at that center of our life, we find our lives kind of spinning off course a little bit, get out of balance. Even good things, they're, they're not balanced enough like God. They, when we try to revolve our lives around family, success, work, other relationships, all kinds of things we could put in there, sports. I can even put ministry there, Right? But if we put anything in our lives, that we center our lives around anything but God, what we find is an unbalanced life. A life that begins to, to spin off course from what God wants us to have. Now think about this. Like a person that puts work at the center of their life. Everything in their life revolves around work. Which means this. They may have other good things like family, church, right? uh, friends. But if sacrifices have to be made, they're going to plan their life around their job. And what happens is we find all kinds of problems in relationships and families. and Sometimes you find addictions and other things. How about if you put family right at the center of your life? Everything revolves just around family. That's a good thing. Right? And so I'm going to take care of my family, do all that kind of stuff, and if I'm going to neglect anything, it's not going to be that. I'm going to take care of that first. But what happens? Well, you're going to have a fairly strong family, but you're going to find other responsibilities and things in your life, purpose in life. And what happens when the family grows up and people move away or, or there's difficulties there? Because there will be, because families are made of, this is a secret, made of a people. Right? People aren't perfect. What happens? And we get very tied up on, on making this right and it will never be perfect. And so our lives begin to have difficulties. There are lots of things that we could put in the center of our life, but as a place that was designed for God. You know, when we put anything else in the center of our life, when we revolve revolve around anything else, when we worship anything other than God, you know what that's called? Idolatry. It's an ugly word. And I think a lot of us, we think, well, we can't commit idolatry because there's no stone temples with the wooden star, you know, statues or something that I'm going to put in there and worship. I mean, miss the idea. God was never envious of a, a, a stone statue or jealous of some carved wood thing. He's jealous for our hearts. Well, what's at the center of your life? Because that's what we're going to give our devotion to. That's what we're going to try to find a balance in our life around. If it's anything other than God, 
It's idolatry, and there's warnings, lots of them through Scripture about this. Deuteronomy 11.16 says this, Be careful, or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Moses gives this. Right before he gives the second law, right before the people are getting ready to go into the promised land, right after they've seen God do amazing things like open the Red Sea and people cross through it and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, they've, they've seen water come from rocks, right? They've seen manna for 40 years from keeping them in the desert. Their shoes haven't ever worn out for 40 years as they walked around. I mean, miracles. After all of this, they've seen the pillar of God like at night and in the fire, you know, in the nighttime and the smoke in the day, and they've seen Moses come out with a glowy face after he met with God. They've seen God. And he says to them, when you go into this wonderful land that I'm giving, when you get all the benefits of all this faith, all this stuff that I'm doing for you, he says, watch well, this, be careful. Or are you going to be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them? There's a warning in this for us. It's easy for any one of us to put an idol into our life. It happens so quickly and easily. It happens innocuously, it seems like. It seems like under the radar. Things that we don't even think, all of a sudden they're good in our life and then they kind of creep in and they take that throne room, that throne of our heart, away from the Creator. And then we end up having problems in our life. We wonder why. It says, be careful. We need to be alert. So how do we find out what has a central place in your life? Here's a couple good things that I found in my life that helped me. And I try to, periodically throughout the year, ask myself these questions. The first one, is there anything that I am unwilling to give up if God asked me to? Because that's a real clear indicator that something to me is I'm laying my life around more than God. A couple of years ago, we did this thing called the Kingdom Commitment, and the previous pastor is up here, and he challenged us, and he said, I want you to sell something that's important to you and use the money to, to help somebody else, right? And I was sitting, and the chairs were set up different, but I was just sitting right over there, and I knew exactly what I had to give up, and I didn't want to. That's how I knew how to give it up. It was a really nice semi-automatic paintball pistol that I saved for two years for. thing was slick. It was really nice. I had a nice little holster with it, you know, a quick change, you know, with the, the clips and everything like that. It was amazing, and I loved it. And I only played with it one time before that, so it was all, like, new and everything, and took it out to the range and all that. As soon as he said, I want you to sell something that's important to you, and it just, boom, happened in my mind. I was like, oh, no, Lord, please, no, not that. <laughs> right? So then I went home. And I tried to talk God out of it by saying, I'll sell these more expensive things, right? Clear, I can help more people if I sold this much bigger thing, God, like trying to buy God off. And God was like, I'm not interested in your money here, and I want your heart. And so I had to sell it, and I was released. But although it didn't happen that smoothly, I sold it on eBay, which I was my first time ever doing that, and I think the last. And... I sold it on eBay, and the person that got it was said, well, it didn't come with cartridges. And I was like, well, I didn't say it would come with cartridges. So I was like, fine, send it back. And then I was like, oh, no. So then I sent out cartridges. So I had to like extra for them. It was, uh, it was a painful thing, and yet it was a sacrifice for a reason, but God set me free. I realized that there was something in my life that was owning me. I'm supposed to own my things, not the other way around. But there was something even bigger than this, is that I had something in the center of my life, of my heart, that, that shouldn't have been there. Something silly as a paintball gun. 
It's amazing the idols we set in our lives, isn't it? What are you putting at your center? A good question. Is there anything that you, wouldn't, you don't want to give up if God asked you to? It could be a thing. It could be a dream. That's a pretty hard one, isn't it? If you have a goal in life, you feel like I will be fulfilled if this thing happens. If I get married to this person or I get this promotion or I get this thing or I achieve this accomplishment and then it'll be good. If that's what you're living for and your whole life is revolving around that, sacrifice it. That's what we're called to. It's at your center and only God should be there as a Christian. Only God should be there. It's hard. Maybe it's a person. Don't actually sacrifice a person, by the way. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but it could be a relationship. You might think, Lord, if you took this person away from me, then everything would come apart. You know, the wheels would come off the bus. Couldn't make it. You could take anything in my life, Lord, but this person. Don't do that. God's called us to love people but not worship them. It's a hard thing. Sacrifice is called sacrifice for a reason. It is painful and it is difficult and it is hard and we are called to it. If you have an idol in your life, you have to get rid of it. How do we do it? It's this wonderful word called repent. And it's ugly to the rest of the world, but it is a wonderful act of grace for the Christian. Because when we repent, we can say, God, I was off track, but I can turn to you and you will accept me and you will forgive me and you will help me. Because that's what he does. When we recognize we're off, then we can say, God, help me get right. And, and repentance is never a one-time act, or very rarely. It's usually a laying down and then walking back, picking it up, and then laying it down again, and then walking back, picking it up, and laying it down again. It's an act. It's a, it's a process. But it's a decision of saying, you know what, God, it's not, it's not saying I don't struggle. It's saying, God, but I'm giving this to you. Maybe as we start this year, the very first thing that you can do is you look into your life and you recognize that you are not centered correctly, that God doesn't have his place, and you start this year by repenting. You come back to God and say, God, you first. Here's this most amazing thing with God. When we put him first, all those other things, they kind of just fall into place. But they don't own us. And they don't cause anxiety. So maybe we begin with repenting. This is a different way of living. So let's start this year by loving God with our hearts. Let's do some idol cleansing, can we? This week, look into your eyes. Ask the hard questions. Make God the center. Start living a life that truly revolves around him and what he wants. Once I love God with my heart, once I give him my worship, then I can go to that next thing that says this, I love God with all my soul. Now, soul is an interesting word, right? Because you can't see souls, right? So a lot of times we talk about souls, people are like, what is that, right? So let me help you. Okay, you were created a physical being, right? God created us out of the dust of the ground. So we're part of this earth. When people die, where does their body go? Back to the earth, right? But does all of you go back to the earth? No, because that would be horrible, right? You were not just physical. He also breathed spirit into you because God is spirit, right? And that's where his life came from. So you are, you are a physical and a spiritual being, an amalgam. It's where that all comes together is your soul, right? That is the unis of you. That's your soul. It is, it is everything that kind of makes the sum total of who you are. That's what we're supposed to love God with. Spirit, body, that's our soul. And so God says, I want you to love me with, with all of you. And how does that look like? Well, it, it means this, that it's, it's with our lifestyle. Because what do you do? You live that's what the unis of you does. And that's what the unis of you is going to do forever, by the way, right? Is you will live 
but how you live. That's what God wants you to love him with. We call that lifestyle. See, oftentimes Christians say, you know, we, we, we get real nervous about this because we'll say, wait, 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 if you're talking about how I live, now you're getting in the area of, of legalism. Uh-uh. No, legalism is this. I'm going to earn my way to be right with God. Legalism leads to pride. So if I live such a good way, God's going to be pleased with me, and that means I'm better than all those other people that God's not pleased with. We start with the fact that God loved us first. There's grace. I don't have the right to live the kind of life that God's allowed me to live. Right? I know that in myself I'm not a righteous person. Right? I lived a horrible life. I was a sinful person. I was very selfish. All those things. Right? God loved me. And now that he's loved me, he allows me to live a much better life. And that doesn't lead to pride. Because <laughs> I'm very humble the fact that I shouldn't have this opportunity, but I have it. But I have this opportunity that God gave me. I should take advantage of it. Right? <laughs> Lifestyle. It's how we live that God's looking for. That's how we love him with our whole soul. Jesus in John 14 says this, If you love me, keep my commands. Right? He ties love with our lifestyle, doesn't he? With obedience. As awful as a word as that sounds, it's actually an amazing thing. He says, if you love me, this is how you're going to do it. Keep my commands. Later on in that same passage, just so you know it's not a one-time thing, John uh, 14, uh, 21, it says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Would you like to see God in your life? Love him. Don't you want to have a relationship? Isn't it easier to have a relationship to show yourself somebody who actually loves you, cares for you? God said, you know, if you care for me, I'll reveal myself to you. And how does he say we love him? Right there, it says, keep his commands. This is not some kind of legalistic, you have to blah, blah, blah. It starts with love. It's an act of our, our free will being freely submitted to his sovereign will. That's what it is. So when we go into our life and say, as smart as I am, I'm pretty smart. I'm not as smart as God. He kind of knows how it works better. And so I'm going to trust him. See, obedience needs to be an act of love. If it's not an act of love, if your obedience is an act of just obligation, right, to God, you're going to resent God for it, aren't you? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And you live this not a great Christian life, right? There's no compassion in it. There's just, it's just awful. But when our trusting God, when it comes to this saying, God, you saved me, you loved me, you gave me this, this new chance, I want to love you back, then that I'm going to obey you, it changes us. And the result of that is true relationship. Now, on the opposite side, think of it as this. Uh, if I have things in my life, that I know that God doesn't want there, and I'm unwilling to give them up. Right? And God says, hey, I want you to give that up. And I say, mm, not so much ready to, to give that up. Right? The scripture says, I say I love God, but I'm not wanting to live the way he wants me to. He says it's a lie. Actually, First John it says whoever wants to do that is a liar. <laughs> right here, though, it says whoever keeps, you know, you say you love God, but you don't do what he asks. You pick a different lifestyle. It's incompatible with his will. It says you're not really loving God. And this makes sense. Think about it this way. Let's say I had a mistress, a girlfriend, right? I've got my wife who's wonderful. I love Amy. And I can say, I love Amy. And I can do lots of things to say I love Amy. But if I have a mistress on the side, and Amy says to me, if you loved me, you would get rid of her. 
And I say, no, 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 Amy. I love you, but I'm unwilling to get rid of her. Do I love my wife? No. It's no different for us in our faith. If we say we love God, we say, God, I love you and all this, but then, but I've got these things. I know you don't want in my life, but I'm not giving those up. Don't trick yourself. Scripture is very clear. You're lying to yourself, and God is not fooled. To love God means we bring him our obedience. We say, I will trust you. I, will, I want to love you. Which means I'm going to, not perfectly, doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. It means that you don't hold on to it. You don't identify yourself in it. Love him. Now, here's a cool thing with that, is that when we love him, there's a thing that God says he will reveal himself to you. If, if you love him, if you say, you know, as a Christian, there are things in my life that I know that are incompatible with faith, with what he wants. You know, I'm, I'm selfish and I, I know that's not compatible with what I'm supposed to do or I'm stealing and that's not compatible with what I'm supposed to do or, you know, I've, I've got, I'm, uh, I'm addicted to things. I know it's compatible with, with life. It doesn't mean that you're just going to just walk away with those and you're not going to struggle with it. No, you will struggle as you walk away from those things. In repentance, it'll be a, a journey. God will be there with you. And it says that if you do that, he will reveal himself to you. Right? He will be with you 100% of the way. He will, he will walk with you and you will see God in your life transforming you. It's awesome. That's a great life. But you have to choose to obey. Loving God with our whole soul demands it. So I ask, are you off course? If you're looking at the trajectory of your life, are you looking at the way that your life is going, you're not happy with it? You know, if you're just, you can't tell what the end is, but you can kind of see him heading this way and I don't like it. Chances are, you probably are having some kind of difficulty there. Your, your navigation system's off, isn't it? You're, you're listening to the wrong voices. Your, your lifestyle is, is leading you astray. Great illustration of this. I was driving in Denver not very long ago. And uh, I had my iPhone turned on trying to get me to the place I was supposed to go. And I picked up somebody else and they had their iPhone turned on. And Siri sounds remarkably the same, no matter what phone she's on. Well... They had just a slightly different address than I had, and both phones, and I, didn't, and I was driving, so I couldn't turn mine off, and I don't know why they wouldn't turn theirs off, but I kept hearing the instructions, right? Take a left here. All right, I'm taking a left, right? Then the other one would say, oh, you're on the wrong place, and then would give me other directions, and so then I would listen to both, and I drove all over the place until I figured out what was wrong, turned off the wrong iPhone, and then got to our location. Took a lot of extra time. Listen, if you are listening to your sinful nature, and it's guiding your life, and you're trying to obey your flesh and everything you're wanting to do, and then you're also trying to listen to God, no wonder you're tired. No wonder it feels like you're not going anywhere. They're taking you different places. You've got to listen to the right voice. But you can't follow both. Christian, you've already made the decision. You said, I called Jesus my Lord for a reason. Listen to him. Which means you've got to obey him. You've got to do what he says. When we do that, he takes us to really great places. There's a benefit to obedience, isn't there? So let me ask, as you look in your life, who are you listening to? What is the sum of your actions, what does your lifestyle say that you're listening to? Do they need some course correction? It's a great place to start this year. As we begin this year, let God be your guide. How do we do that? How do you listen to God? 
it's not hard. And it's no like great mystery. I'm sorry I, I couldn't just like climb up a little mountain here and have my beard and everything and just tell you. It's really easy to listen to God. He's spoken to us. That's what this is. That's why it's, it's called the revealed word of God, the Bible. Do you know it? Are you reading it? Are you hearing it? Do you hear what it says? It tells us how to live. It's where our morals and our ethics and our guidance of life and wisdom come from. There's another thing that we get to do is we get to pray. You get to talk to God. And you can ask him your questions. You can ask him for wisdom. You know something really cool about God? Is he never contradicts himself. And so oftentimes, as you read his word, he'll bring up things from his word. He says, I told you about that right here. He'll guide you. Promises he will and he does. So maybe this year you begin, you say, God, I want you to guide me. Something else that we can do, something I like to do is I set faith goals at the beginning of every year. Um, I usually start like the week before the, so this last year, I begin to think about what do I want to do. And they're faith goals. You can think of them like spiritual New Year's resolutions or whatever you want to do. But all it is is saying, what does God want from me? And these are statements that are intended for obedience. So I look at where I am in my life right now and I kind of say, God, and here's the first thing I do is I take some time And don't miss this part. Take a few days and ask God, what is it you want from me this next year? Right? That's a scary question. Because oftentimes what God wants from you is not what you hope that he wants from you. Right? But take time and ask God, God, what is it you want from me this next year? And then once you have that, write it down and put it somewhere. Right? That you see it. Because we're going to get it out of sight, out of mind as quickly as we can because it's a challenge. It's taking us somewhere we're not. So it means we have to change how we're doing things. And so I write it down. You know, a couple of the faith challenges I had in my past, one of them is I wanted to read the Bible uh, through um, uh, uh, chronologically. It was, a, it was a goal of mine. I wanted to do it. I said, you know, it would be helpful for me to kind of get all the scripture lined up. So I did. I said, I wrote it down. I said, I'm going to read the Bible in the year chronologically. And so I went online and I found a Bible that does that. And it's great. In fact, this year, there's, gonna, uh, there's called a thing called One Community, One Book. A lot of different churches. There's a place you can go even on our website. You can click it. You can get that, right? But I did. And how long it took me? 18 months, right? Because some days got longer than others and some readings were difficult and so I didn't keep pacing. You know what? It is okay. I still got through it. I read the Bible in a chronological order and I've done it several times since then. It's amazing. There was another one that I said um, in 2014. I said this. There was never a time in our church that every member of our church up to that point had been prayed for every week and that bothered me and so I said, I'm going to pray for every church member every week. That's what I'm going to do. So I got the lists, and, and at first it was really, really tough, and I tried to do it all in one day, and that was bad, and it just didn't work because I have a short attention span, so I'd start praying, and then I'd start thinking about something else. So it took a while, and, uh, but since then, it's been a great joy, and I've seen God do amazing things in your lives, and the way that he allows me to, to care and to love you guys better, it's been amazing. It was a faith goal. It didn't just happen out of nowhere. It took work. It took effort. It took focused direction. It's a way of me bringing my life into obedience to God's will. Ask him. Maybe you say, God, what is it you want from me this year? Maybe this year you need to be baptized, right? Maybe that's something you've never done. God says in his word, do it. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe this year you need to join a life group. Maybe this year you need to start reading the Bible regularly, right? Maybe this year you want to develop a a, a prayer life. Ask God what he wants from you. Write it down and work for it. 
It'll happen. I think it's amazing. It's, it's obedience. Obedience does require commitment. It does require action. Matthew uh, 633. Uh, Jesus gives us the solution to anxiety. He says, all these things that you're anxious about, here's how you can stop being anxious about them. He says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and then he will give you everything you need. Promise of God. He'll care for you, but you got, there's, a, there's a part that we have. Seek him first with everything, right? Seek his kingdom and righteousness first. It requires commitment. Seeking God's kingdom first is not just saying, God, I love you. No, you have to obey. You have to trust him. You have to, to seek his kingdom first. Put him in the center. Do that. And then we'll find that obedience in this invites blessing. Then I'll provide everything you need. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I hope you guys know that by now, right? I've never preached health and wealth because I think that's a, the, uh, it's not the way that the gospel sets itself up. God's not a vending machine. But I will tell you this. That if I want to put my place in a position of blessing, obedience is a great way of doing that. <laughs> right? When I'm disobedient to God, it's, I imagine I, I, it's more difficult for me to put my place, myself in his blessing. And it just makes sense for me when I understand this. Like when my son Thomas is, is just being a rascal, it's really hard for me to say, hey kid, let's go get ice cream. Right? But when he's been doing good and all that kind of stuff and all that, I want to bless his socks off, right? That's the joy of being a dad. When you get to do that and you're kid and you're like, you're awesome, right? When we stand in a place of obedience, it invites God's blessing. It invites his care for us. It invites relief from the anxieties because we know that he is the one that's ultimately in charge. We're living our life or where he wants us to be. But here's the thing about obedience is it can't be delayed. If I... I think about, like, when uh, I'm coaching a football team and I tell a kid, hey, do this. And he says, I'll do that later. That doesn't fly. That's not obedience. When I tell my son, go do the dishes, and he's like, I'll get it tomorrow. That doesn't work. (laughs) Delayed obedience isn't obedience. If God tells you to do something, do it. It can't be delayed, and it requires action. So let your faith take action this year. Be obedient. So to love God with my heart, I give him my worship. To love him with my soul, I give him my obedience. Let's look at the, the third thing that he asks us to do. And he says to love with our mind. And I think this is the hardest. This is so discouraging. I found out this when I was studying for this, that the average attention span of a North American right now is eight seconds. Eight seconds. That's why I move around so much. I'm like, hey, squirrel, I'm over here, right? <laughs> I'm the same way. Right, look at TV. They cut to a new scene like every eight seconds for that reason. They know we're like, da-da-da, what? Right? It's hard to give God a, love God with our mind because we're so distracted. To love God with our whole mind means we've got to give him our focus. Difficult thing to do. So how do we do it? Well, do you remember that thing with Jesus? You know, he quotes, he said, what's the greatest commandment? What did he quote? The Shema. What do the people do? They, the Jews quoted it six times a day. Why do you think they did that? Because they were just as distracted as we are. The world is always coming in, trying to steal our focus. So six times a day, they remind us. I remember going, when, the first time I flew to Ukraine, I was sitting uh, right across the aisle from a, um, a, a Jewish man, had the, the hat and everything, it was cool. And he quotes the Shema. Not in a way that I understood, right? Uh, but did it. And then twice, while I was there, then I got to ask him, I was like, what are you saying? And he told me, I thought this is fascinating. He said six times a day. I said, you get out of town, right? And he couldn't because we were on an airplane. We were getting out of town. <laughs> and, but anyway, I was, it was fascinating to me. And I think this, 
There's a reason that they would go back to it. It reminds them of what God wants. That's why we, we do memory verses and all those other things. Do you ever think about that? It's why I have us memorize those things and give you those cards and, and all that kind of stuff is so throughout the week you can remind yourself. Here's the thing. Distracted lives are dangerous. If you think about uh, distracted driving, kills real people. Distraction is a dangerous thing. But how about when our lives are, are, are run by kind of distracted things? I'm going to go do this thing, and oh, wait, I'm paying attention to this now, and oh, I'm going to pay attention to this now, and I'm going to... You know what? That's why we end up having all kinds of problems as we focus on the next most urgent thing. But eternity may not be urgent, but it's very important. Let's focus on that. That's loving God with our mind. It's giving him our thoughts. It's giving him, him our focus and our attention that he deserves. Philippians 4.8 tells us to do this. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. Fix your thoughts on the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why does Scripture tell us to do this? Because we won't normally do that. We're going to think about the urgent things and the problems and the difficulties and, the, and all that kind of stuff, won't we? But to love God with our minds is to set our minds on the things of God that he wants. So we do that, the memory verses, our Bible reading, our prayer time. We meet together in small groups as we encourage one another when we see each other at Safeway and other things. When we help each other refocus and you constantly think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure. Maybe that's your faith goal this year. Begin to have a transformation of the, of the mind, setting your Loving God with your, even your thoughts. Think how important that is. Jesus said, you know, if you hate another person, you're pretty much a murderer. If you lust after another person, you're pretty much adulterer. Our thoughts matter. Set your thoughts on the things of God this year. I told you I was going to prod you, didn't I? See, true to form. So as this year... Let's, do, let's start this year off right. Let's, let's get on the right. Let's start with the thing that Jesus said is most important. Let's love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, right? Let's, let's love God with all that we are. Let's fix our thoughts on God. Let's allow God to guide us through our, through our obedience, right? Let's, let's recenter our lives around him and what God wants. And I think in this, let's let God do great things in us. Let, let's, let's be committed to these things greatly, the great commandments and the great commission, but with that great compassion, so that God can build a great church and he can build each of us as great Christians. Let's do this. So here's some things that we can do. Uh, one thing as we look at our final jeopardy. Because one day there's going to be a final jeopardy. On, the, on your sheet, there's one thing that I didn't fill out for you. It is this. It says, uh, who is, right? Who is going to love their, the, to start this year off? Right? In fact, let me get the right wording because all of a sudden <laughs> I got distracted. Can you imagine? <laughs> Final Jeopardy, who is? And the answer to this one is the person that loves God with all of their heart, soul, and mind and strength. That's the question, or that's the answer. You can answer this one yourself. If you're ready to, this year, start with some commitment. Start with commitment to this great commandment and great commit, uh, with great compassion. Say, I want to do this. You can write your name down there because you know what? This, as silly as this little Final Jeopardy is, there's going to be a real Final Jeopardy someday. And we all know it's coming. There's a day that we'll each stand before our Creator and He will say, did you get the main things done? Did you do what I asked? 
And what I want each of you to be able to say is, yeah, I did. So he can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your master. That's the kind of thing that we want to answer. It's not just a game show. It is it's forever. So let's set our hearts and our minds and our goals on that. Let's choose to be great. Let's live great now for him. So some things, some practical things to help you do that on your connection card. If you pull that out, I've got some ideas. Maybe the first thing that you want this week you could commit to to starting that is why don't you memorize Matthew twenty two thirty seven? Wouldn't it be awesome if our church all knew the main thing that God told us to do? I mean, it would not be a great chart as a church to say, hey, we're going to be committed to this. At least we should know it. Take time this week. Memorize it. Think about what God is saying. Ask yourself, God, are you in my center? God, am I obeying you? God, are you, uh, you know, am I focusing on your things? Allow yourself to think about this, but memorize it. You say, this week, maybe this is what you commit to. Something else you might want to do is maybe read John 1. Or sorry, read 1 John. Why 1 John? Because John, the apostle in Scripture, was called the, the, the beloved disciple. He's the one that knew how to get close to Jesus, right? And he writes to the church about how to love God. And that's what book of 1 John is about. Maybe this year, if you want to get into Bible reading, and maybe this is a great place to start, and I would say, why don't you read 1 John? It's, it's not terribly long, but boy, is it deep. It's wonderful. Or how about this? Maybe your commitment is to love God. Maybe that's where you begin with this year. You say, I'm committed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love God. Really love Him. Not just in word, but with an action and truth. With my heart and my soul and my mind. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly, but you say, I'm going to commit myself to it. That's what I'm going to start with. Let me know. I'll be praying for you. Or something else maybe you can do is commit to this. Why don't you come the next four weeks? Be committed to God building, not just you, but the church, for what he's doing this in Estes. I mean, you've already got a great start. You're here the first week. So yay you. It's good. You say, I'm going to come back and, and you know, bye to friends. It's good. Maybe there's something else that you feel right now God's compelling you to do, telling you, be obedient, write it down. Remember, delayed obedience is an obedience. So let me know so I can be praying for you, supporting you. And if there's a prayer request, please write it down. It does help me. I do pray for each of you each week. So if you let me know how to pray, then I will pray these things for you and over you. Um, in just a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I ask you to take these connection cards, put them in the basket. Um, we would sure appreciate it. Um, so let's pray for our commitments. Let's pray for our tithes. And, uh, and let's do that now. Heavenly Father, as we begin uh, this new calendar year, uh, we recognize that you're a timeless God, that you're always ever-present. There's always time. It's always the right time to turn to you. Uh, but Father, for us, those that are locked in time and space calendars do help us to have a, a, a break and to, to, to look at uh, where we're going to reevaluate. Father, I pray that you would help our church have the wisdom to take the most of this opportunity. Lord, as uh, we this week evaluate ourselves and our own lives, I pray that you will show us uh, how are we doing at loving you. If we're doing great, that's awesome, God. Then I pray that you find, we find great encouragement in that. In the areas that we may be missing in our heart or our mind or our soul. Father, I pray that you would help us. Not just bring the conviction, but Father, show us a solution. Lord, help us to walk away from sin and walk towards you. Help us to trust you and to center our lives around you. Father, may we find your greatness in our life as we do great things and live greatly for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to keep these commitments that were made not out of obligation, but out of love. May you change us and transform us in the midst of us. May our relationship with you grow. And Father, we're going to pray that you in that build us into a great, a great church of great believers. And Father, I also pray for the tithes and the offerings that are being made. Will you also use those? 
Would you please invest those in your kingdom so that others may know how amazing you are and can experience this life change that you offer us, that they can experience your grace and your love. And Father, may you do it all for your glory, we ask in Christ's wonderful and powerful name. Amen.